Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here. How have you guys been doing? How's your week been? All right. Everyone's good. Everyone's staying away from the craziness. Are you trying to stay away from the craziness? Do you find the craziness just comes to get you sometimes? It, it, it is. It comes. It's, yeah, it, it's rough. Again, this season that we are supposed to remember and celebrate the birth of Christ has become a season about spending, about busyness over so many things. And oftentimes those things are not the meaningful things in our lives. And so our whole Advent conspiracy has been to reclaim, to conspire, to make this season about Christ and how we live. And so we have devoted ourselves as a community for a number of years now to spend less, but to give more, to spend less monetarily on things, again, that people really don't need. As I shared before, 600 to $700 million a year are spent in the United States alone on Christmas. That is crazy. That is crazy out of control. How did the birth of Christ, humbly born to a young girl in poverty, become what it is? And how can we make it something meaningful again. So instead of spending the money, we want to give more. We want to give of ourselves and having people over for dinner and contributing like we are to the children or to orphanages or to schools in Haiti. Uh, we have in the past, I mean, we've probably contributed over $50,000 for our small community to Haiti alone with the latrines, with the uh, building for the cafeteria with the Goat and Garden Project. You guys have done this instead of doing the buy, 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 right? I, I, my granddaughters gave me an unsolicited piece of paper with all the things they want for Christmas. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's, you know, all these things on there. And it's like, it's not just one, it's like multiple things. And they're not just little things, Right? I, I don't know these things. A Nintendo Switch. Everyone, you guys know what that is? Well, it's money is what it is, right? It's like, and then there's the other things besides. It's like, if you got that, you wouldn't get anything else because there'd be nothing left in the bank, right? To get you some of these things. And so it's become this buy, buy, buy. And how do we help our children to understand this is really about giving something more and about loving everybody? And so we are trying to do that. And I encourage you. Don't get caught up 
Oh, I have to buy someone. You don't. You don't have to buy, but you can give. Right? You can give a card. You can make a phone call. You can have a cup of coffee with someone. Say, hey, I just have, you know, a half hour. Can we go grab a cup of coffee? I'd love to spend that half hour with you. And instead of buying something that doesn't have the meaning, have a conversation for 30 minutes that can be meaningful. And so let's not lose that. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about GPS systems, the 2008 presidential election, magic and misdirection, Herod's temple, and hammers and seeds. Okay, we're going to start in Luke chapter 2. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it to Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. Luke 2, verses 8 through 14, and it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. A very familiar story at this time of the season when we remember the birth of Christ. But there are some things in this story that I really want to to bring out. Because it says in verse 12 that this will be a sign to you. Where is it? Oh, it doesn't. I don't have it there. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now, when I think of a sign, I don't think of a baby in a manger. I think of the verse that follows it, the great company of heavenly hosts. I think of angels. Now, that's a sign. The baby, those you see all the time, right? That That's not a sign. But you see, we have this idea of what a sign is supposed to be, that it's supposed to be something spectacular, but really, bless you, what a, a sign is supposed to be is something that directs you, that gives directions to you. Now, I have become so dependent on my GPS that I almost don't even look at road signs anymore, right? Because I just have this lady telling me what to do. Turn here, right? I, I just figured... I won't go there. Anyway, I've, I've gotten to this place where I don't look at the signs because I'm listening to this voice that's telling me what I'm supposed to do. Half a mile, I got to veer to the right or I have to continue straight. And beware, there's a you know car on the side of the road. All these things that it's telling me. And I, I have this idea, you know, oh, it's going to be something spectacular, but a sign is just giving you direction into the place you're supposed to go. And, and so what we see taking place here is this humble birth was pointing in the direction that God was moving and how he was going to be moving. It wasn't that he was going to do something spectacular. It actually something totally different. And so in Jesus's life, 
we start to see this idea of a sign unfold. And, and so we're going to fast forward to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Jesus approaches a man or a man with leprosy. And I'll read some of the verses and you'll see what's written up here. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed from his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, if the going to the priest is not an uncommon thing. This was in Leviticus. If you had some skin infection, to make sure that you were allowed to be a part of the temple worship, you had to be free from this kind of defect, we'll call it. We had to make sure, especially if it was something serious like leprosy, that you weren't a part of the worship because you could contaminate that and it was considered unclean. And so if you did have some kind of skin infection, you had to wait till it was healed, then go to the priest and say, see, I'm all better. And they could say, okay, come back in. And so that's not unusual that they would have to go and do this. That was part of their ritual. What's unusual is that Jesus says, see that you don't tell anyone. Now, if you had leprosy, you were destined to be outcast for the rest of your life. There was no cure. So you just get cured from an incurable disease, and Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Are you kidding me? I tell people when I find $5 on the ground, right? What am I going to do if I get cured from an incurable disease? Hey, Joe, you're looking better today. Yeah. <laughs> but he tells them, don't tell anyone. There's another story in Luke chapter 8 where Jairus comes to Jesus and he says his daughter is deathly ill and asks Jesus to come and to touch her and to heal her. And on his way there, someone comes up and say, don't bother the master. Your daughter is dead. But Jesus goes to his house anyway. And as he gets to the house, he sees people are weeping because the man's daughter is dead. And Jesus goes in and he says, don't, don't weep. She's not dead. She only sleeps. And there their tears turn into jeers and they start mocking him. Oh, he doesn't know, but she's dead. And in Luke chapter eight, verse 54, after they had laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them, give her something to eat, because that's what you do when someone raises from the dead. I guess you work up an appetite. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Again, are you kidding me? How do you not... Speak about this. And more importantly, why would you not want us to speak about this? You see, if you have come to start this movement, this is good PR. 
This is the stuff that will get people coming to you and following you. Isn't that what you want? In the 2008 presidential election, they spent $2.4 billion on advertising. That's more than the gross national product of Mongolia. Just so that their names could be put out in our faces that we would hear that so that we would vote for them. $2.4 billion. And Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Something is going on here. This is contrary to the way things work. Why? Would he say this? What is going on that something this profound he would want to be kept quiet? We see this unfold a little bit more in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. It says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew himself again to a mountain by himself. This is after feeding multitudes. If we've got someone who can feed multitudes, we need to make this guy king. And so they wanted to make him king by force, and he withdrew himself. Wait a second again. Isn't this what you're wanting? Isn't your goal to make yourself known? And wouldn't this help that be accomplished? But remember... The sign wasn't a king. It was a baby. This will be a sign to you. Not a king has come and he's going to set everything right. There's going to be a baby. Wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. See, the sign was pointing to something else. Later on in that same chapter, verses 26 and 27 Jesus answered to the crowd, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus kind of calls them out. You wanted me because I gave you something, but what I gave you isn't what you really need. And it's almost as if the miracles and the the things that they were calling signs were in the way of seeing what was really taking place. You see, he didn't want to point to the things that were very extravagant and the things that were sensational. He was trying to point to something else. And they, like us, many times just want the sensational. Do you know people like that who want to see God do something sensational? I know people who always are following the sensation and God doesn't, oh, God did this great thing and he spoke to me and I had a word of prophecy and this guy did this and I was healed here, I was healed here. But then you see them and they're still in the same struggles. They're still dealing with the same problems and it's like, well, that miraculous thing didn't change you. You're still who you are. You just got this quick bump. It's like a fix. It was like, you know, you don't know what a bump is. Anyway, 
it's not what you need. And it's almost as if these miracles are taking away from what's really necessary. And so he's playing them down. Now, there's a thing that they do in illusion or magicians. And it's called misdirection. They, they redirect you. And it's not like they say, hey, look over there. What they do is they get your mind to look somewhere else. They say, here's some cards. Look at your cards. What card do you have? And you say, oh, it's the queen of diamonds. And while your brain is thinking queen of diamonds, they're taking your wristwatch, right? Something like that. They're, they're doing something else while your brain is thinking about that. And they intentionally have you think about something to occupy your brain so that they can do something else. The miracles were a misdirection to the real work taking place. They pointed to something less, not more. And the people were wanting the signs. They were wanting these miraculous things. But they were not supposed to point to the miraculous. They were supposed to point to the miracle worker who was the baby born humbly, who didn't come to present himself as king. They wanted more and were settling for less. And Jesus came to give them more, but they had to start with less. And and that's such an important truth for us to grab hold of. And, And Jesus constantly was talking about these things. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be a servant. Those who are first will be last, but those who are last will be first. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it doesn't grow. It doesn't bring forth anything. All these things are telling us where we need to start. And it's a sign, a baby wrapped in clothes. God was telling us from the very beginning, this is the direction I'm headed. It's not magnificent. It's not spectacular. It's very humble and lowly. And so the direction that Jesus is pointing in, he's wanting them to have more. What is God trying to tell us? These miracles are pointing to something that they're not seeing. They're looking at the miracles and not what they're pointing at. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, we have to take this scenario. His disciples were young men. Some of them probably in high school age. Grew up in fishing villages. Maybe never made it to Jerusalem. Maybe never made it to the temple or did on occasion. But it's kind of like the country boy going to New York City, right? Look at all these buildings, right? I don't know why you got to talk like that when you do, but you do, right? And so they come into Jerusalem and they see the temple. Now, this is Herod's temple. This temple was something to behold. I mean, Herod, who built the temple, was probably the wealthiest man who ever lived. 
And that's throughout all of history if we put it proportionally. The guy had incredible wealth and it took him 46 years to build this temple. They had 10,000 skilled laborers working for 46 years to build this temple. They had a thousand oxen that would haul the stones that they would quarry to take two and put on the temple. Some of these stones were 10 feet by 10 feet by 46 feet. And they would weigh in excess of 80 tons. And then they would put them up as high as 100 feet high. And this is without cranes. The guy was a genius architecturally. And this temple was something that was a sight to behold. And so these young boys here in Jerusalem look at this amazing construction and they start pointing at the stones that were not only huge, but they were elaborately decorated and carved. And they pointed these things out and they said, look at this temple. Look at these buildings. And then Jesus just rains on their parade, right? He goes, yeah, I think that's something. Not one stone is going to be left on top of another. Now, there's a number of things taking place here. First of all, we know that in 70 AD, Rome came and totally annihilated Jerusalem, laid it waste because there were some rebellions that had been taking place that had started to increase and finally the orders were sent in, squash it. And that's what empires do, right? You're causing us trouble, we'll fix that. And so they totally displaced the people that were there. Millions of people had to flee. They took away the name, called it Palestine instead of Jerusalem. And the temple, they burned it and they toppled all the stones so that the only thing left is part of the wailing wall that's still there in Jerusalem. So there's this prophetic sense because... Matthew, who's writing about this, is writing about this, looking back, seeing what happened and seeing how these things took place. But there's something else that's taking place here. You see, he's trying to show them something bigger, something that they had missed. And by looking at this temple and all its grandeur, they were missing the magnificence of what God was actually doing. And we see Jesus allude to these things throughout the Gospels. In John chapter 2, verses 18 to 20, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? This is to do the miracles, healing on the Sabbath, and all the things that he was claiming to be the Son of God. And verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and are you going to raise it in three days? But the temple that he spoke of was his body. Temples are where you found your God. Temples were the place where you would worship. Temples were the place that had significance to the populace, and Jesus is tearing them down. He's moving their devotion from the building, from the magnificence to something more. 
but it seemed like a lot less. And so we start to see this unfold in his teachings. Right In John chapter 4, we know the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And she's talking to him and talking about how they would worship, our ancestors would worship in this place. And so she said, Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. She said, we worship here, you worship here. Where's the place you worship? You see, because you had to go to a place to worship God. And Jesus is saying, it's not going to be that way. Yet a time is coming and now has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The temple, the power, the majesty were misdirection. Their eyes, their mentality was captured by these things and their grandeur. Spirit and truth were the things that were significant. Those were the signs that he was pointing to. That was the direction. This was what God was doing. But it's not new. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was being martyred, he said, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. This is quoting now from Isaiah. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? You see, long ago, the prophet Isaiah was defying what was established in their minds. The temple, the temple is holy, the temple is holy. And God is saying through the prophet, you think I can live there? That heavens can't contain me. How am I going to dwell there? Well, then where is God going to dwell? What is God doing? Why is Jesus here? Why was he born in this state, in this condition? What is the sign he is pointing to? Luke 17, once on being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in you. Now, some translations say in your midst. First Corinthians 316, Paul tells us, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The same words in you are the same words that Jesus used here. The kingdom of God that Jesus is ushering in, the sign that God wanted to see us to see and follow was that God was doing something in people, not in buildings. The birth of Jesus was to show the kind of kingdom that God would bring. See, but this is slow. This takes too long. You know, I I like it when I can build something and get it done quickly, right? I like it when I get the Ikea package and it's an easy one, right? 
I don't need a whole lot of assembly required. It's kind of the difference between hammers and seeds. If I have a nail, I can hammer it in, bam, it's done, and I start to see things go up. When we were building our room addition, there was a lot of hammering going on, right? We had to put things up, and you could do that, get it quickly, you force the issue, and it happens. You put the braces up, you put the windows in, you put the flooring down. I built this, and it's done. But now there's something else that God is doing. And it's a lot slower. And it's not something that you see visibly. The kingdom of God isn't something you'll see there and say, here it is, there it is. But it actually starts to show up within us. And so Jesus would say, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. This has always perplexed me. Greater things. And immediately I go to the miracles. Immediately I go to the sensational. The greater things. Ah, Jesus raised the dead. What am I going to do greater than that? Raise two people from the dead? I mean, what do you do? How do you get greater unless my mind is thinking greater in the wrong sense? If a sign is a baby being born and the kingdom of God is something that shows up within me, maybe the greater thing that takes place is the spreading of the kingdom of God through his people that show up everywhere. People who are just like you, just like me, people who are vulnerable, just like that baby carry with them the hope of God because the true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And it's not about the place you go. It's about who you belong to. We keep wanting to build temples, take a hammer, drive the nail, see it done. And Jesus is planting seeds. And I'm not a farmer, and I've never planted anything successfully. But I know it takes time. I know it takes water. I know it takes sunlight. I know it takes fertilizer. And I know it takes time. And you see, God is doing something. And you don't even see it. Because it's taking place within us. And it's changing who we are. So that the things that are important to God become important to us. That's what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is. It's the things that are important to God become the things that become important to us. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want to see that take place. Where does it start? It starts in me. It starts in us. And the sign to us is this baby that seems so weak and so powerless and that's exactly where God starts now take that to your and my life because I don't know about you but there's times I feel weak and I feel powerless there are times where I feel like I have no effect on the world around me there are times where I do not see the kingdom of God but maybe it's because I'm looking 
the wrong places. Maybe I'm wanting the temple. I'm wanting the power. I'm wanting to see something sensational take place. And what God is wanting to do is plant a seed in my heart that begins to change me and make me look more like him. And that starts to affect the people around me who also desire the things that God wants to do and the things that Jesus came to give us. You see, a sign was given. We just need to look at it. We need to follow it. And it points to Jesus. It points to who he was. It points to what he did. It points to the example he gave us. May we not miss this sign. May we not be so distracted by the season and all the other GPS and things that are speaking to us all the power pulls and struggles for control, may we not miss the sign that a baby is wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger and God is telling us everything we need to know you can find starting right here. Let's follow the sign. Let's pray. Lord, I need your help not to be misdirected, not to be misguided by so many things. Father, there are times where I am devoting myself and my attention to the things that aren't really what's important. I'm wanting to build something, and it's my own temple. It's my own structure that I think is important that I think maybe even will last. And God, while I'm doing that, there are times where I can actually miss the signs, things that are important to you. And Lord, what you are wanting to build and what you are wanting to see take place is a temple that shows up in our lives and in our hearts. That we would recognize that we are the temple of your spirit. And that's where we need to invest. And that's small and it might seem insignificant, but it's where the change takes place. And so I pray for all of us this Christmas, God, that we would not allow the distractions to take us away from the sign that you've given us and how that sign unfolds, the the seed of love that you plant that slowly grows, slowly changes, slowly begins to show others. There's food that will satisfy. Lord, may we take hold of those truths and allow them to penetrate our lives. We pray in your name. Let's stand together. May you follow the signs and may they lead you to the one who gives hope to everyone. May your heart become the home for Christ. May you recognize that you are the temple of the living God who dwells in you. Allow that to be your hope and to guide you forward. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. See you next week.
You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.